episode five of the podcast. Uh, today I'm in Raton, New Mexico with my old homie JP Rodman, who is a fantastic uh, motorcycle builder and custom painter. I'm sure there's a whole bunch of stuff will kind of come out during our interview yeah, here. Yeah. But, uh, Good to see you, Mike. Thanks. Yeah, no, I'm glad, I'm glad we're able to pull this off on my drive down to Albuquerque. Yeah, that's, it's really cool. Yeah, I, I talked to you, or I hit you up, and um, I don't know, I told you how cool the podcast was. I didn't, didn't know we were going to do one so quick, so that's awesome. Well, that's the thing. It just worked out. Yeah. yeah, totally. You know, I'm sure there's a lot of people that are like, I wonder if Mike's going to ask me. And yeah, I probably will. <laughs> uh-huh. You know me pretty well. So, you know, let's let the listeners know a little about you. Like, you could start off when you were a kid, like where you were born and raised and stuff. So I was born in, in Pueblo, Colorado. Oh, which is close, maybe mm-hmm. an hour north? Yeah, an hour north of here. And then uh, when I was about five, uh, my folks moved to Farmington. Which is where? Farmington, New Mexico, over on the, uh, the west side, the west corner, the west northern, north? west okay. northern corner, okay. like south of Durango there. Yeah. And, um, you know, did like another five-year stint there. Till I was about ten, yeah, and then um, my dad got a job at Albuquerque TBI. He had, you know, he'd spent his summers, uh, you know, going to college and stuff, getting his master's degree. So he became an administrator ah. instead of a, you know, an auto body teacher. And uh, so he got a really good administration job. He was the dean of the trades department down there in Albuquerque. So we moved there when I was about ten. Actually, to Bosky Farms, just, oh, just yeah. south down there, south totally. of the South Valley. Bosky Farms. Yeah, that's cool. So, where did you go to, like, you know, public school and stuff? So when we uh, once I moved down there, you know, uh, you know, I, I pretty much from first grade to fifth grade was all, was all public school up there in Farmington, uh-huh. and then um, when we moved down there, right across from TVI was St. Charles Catholic School. And my dad put me in there. Okay. And so me and my sister went there <laughs> till the eighth grade. Yeah. And then at that point, then we just, we uh, went to Los Angeles High School. Okay. Yeah. So you were a Catholic kid. Yeah. Yeah, it was. I uh, was too. Yeah. I did uh, like uh, Catholic summer school and camps and stuff, but went to a public school in Albuquerque. Mm-hmm. That's cool. So you ended up at Los Angeles High? Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. The, uh, the Catholic school, you know, it was good and stuff. It got you know it's good education and stuff but by the ninth grade it was like all right you know like the faith kind of stuff where you're seeing through that yeah yeah i was too by the time i was 16 my parents asked if i wanted to be uh confirmed i guess confirmation is one yeah. of the sacraments right so and i was like no i don't really believe it and they're like that's fine you're a good kid you learned what we needed you to learn um their yeah. thing was if i continued to go to church i could go to breakfast with them after and, uh, <laughs> back in the day that was maybe the only time we would go out to a restaurant all week yeah you know so I, I'd end up going to church I think even into college I, I still would go to church with them sometimes just to get a good uh, breakfast burrito in me afterwards oh yeah just you, you know? know and then like just to be social <laughs> a little bit or whatever sure yeah. sure and there was always really pretty girls at church they were dressed up you know I remember in the summer in Albuquerque those, those summer dresses you know and you're a teenager oh, it's just man. like oh, that's boy <laughs> yeah in the ninth grade because um 
so there was like you know a bunch of people getting confirmed and stuff so i went to like those bible study classes or whatever yeah. those classes but like i never did it but i just went to like go hang out with the girls sure and stuff like sure that. no that's the thing like you're saying it was a social scene i think yeah. my mom even did like jazzercise and stuff at the church Sick. yeah totally uh, we're just, oh, we're just doing an interview. Yeah. It's all good. Don't sweat it. She's right here. Okay, cool. Oh, yeah, your right. puppy? Yeah, yeah that's Amber. Yeah, I am Amber. Um, but, uh, yeah, so anyway, that's so that's. So you ended up, so when did we meet? So that was about, it would have probably been that same year in the ninth grade. Oh, where, yeah? Yeah. Did you come up to Albuquerque or something? Yeah, or? what would happen, and that's where I met you. I think we had talked about this before where um, we would go up to Roller West to go oh, skate. Oh, yeah. And, uh, okay. And that's, that's a, I, the, you know, maybe a few times I had maybe seen you somewhere, but that was like the first time that we had actually met. Okay. Was okay. there at Roller West. That's a, pr- that's a pretty great place to meet, actually. Oh, dude, it was cool. That's where yeah. I met all those guys. Yeah. You know? because Roller West was a roller skating rink way, way out on the west side of Albuquerque, mm-hmm. like almost past the edge of town, it seemed like. I remember driving there and it was like, where the hell are we going? Yeah, the but, next stop uh, was Westgate. Yeah, know. it was like Wednesday nights, I think. Was it Wednesday? Tuesday or Wednesday? Tuesday, something remember. like that. It was right week. in the middle of the week. And they allowed skateboards mm-hmm. on the rink, and they had jump ramps. I remember they had a quarter pipe and a slide rail, maybe a block or two. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it would just like depend. That. Like people could bring their stuff, you know. Uh, so every once yeah. in a while, like it would change up. Like That's right. somebody would bring a different launch ramp, or somebody would bring That's a different right. quarter pipe. That's right. And I remember that being such a important place especially in the winter because you know it was heated and it was indoors and I think that was the only thing that I can think of back then that was like that I can't think of another skate rink that allowed skateboards ever no not no yeah I think that was you know something smart on their end remember like you'd go and pay and then you, they had a bucket, a wash bucket, and you'd reach in there and wash your wheels off I with a that. wash rag. Yeah, and I then you could go that. in and skate. That's right. That's and right. It's just like, wow. That's right. Yeah, I remember learning how to go switch dance off land, launch ramps back then awesome. at, at Roller West and Frontside Airs on that quarter pipe. And also, that was one of the first occasions that I sold my own artwork because I would draw uh, stuff on grip tape. Yeah. sections with uh, paint pens and then sell them kind of like stickers yeah that's how we met those? oh yeah dude yeah. I, that's that's how we met because uh, every okay. week like we, i would try and get one or you know yeah. every once in a while heck i got a few of them from you that's so it was cool yeah i feel like i made like 10 or 12 each week and they would go pretty fast oh, yeah. kids would skate right up and be like what do you got oh yeah i was always like what, what pal ones what, what and pal usually ones? it was just um i was redoing logos and graphics and mm-hmm. stuff yeah yeah, for I sure. We're always looking for the Powell ones, but I, you, I don't know if I don't remember if you had a, any original stuff at all. But I, I'm sure you That's had. That's the thing. You know. I, I think I was writing things. I remember doing some Santa Monica Airlines ones, and I wrote it out so it was supposed to kind of look like graffiti. But I, it was way before I even uh-huh. thought about graffiti writing. But when I look back, you know, some people have saved those damn grip tape things and no shown way. them to me. Yeah, when I go to Albuquerque, sometimes I see them. Yeah, I want to see some. I would always like put them right on. Yeah, because that really was the beginning of you know making money as an artist for myself, and it was totally do it yourself, you know, and even copyright infringement, frankly, because I was just copying logos and whatnot and selling it. Yeah, but that. Yeah, but I did it by hand. I did it by hand. Exactly. That's so funny. 
That's so funny. Ah, oh, it's so cool. So yeah, so that was... did you go up to Albuquerque to skate pretty regularly? Yeah, once I turned 16 and got my own car, because uh, yeah. then I had I already met like, because that same thing on my freshman year, Tommy Barunda had moved down to Las Lunas. Oh, so, yeah. And then, so that was like my introduction to like everybody in the South Valley and stuff like that. And then, and you they know, were really good. God, him Those and guys Mike and Ray. Yeah, yeah. I skated with them a lot mm-hmm. too. Oh yeah, yeah. Ray, Michael, and Tommy was Our, like the. They'd show up anywhere in town and just school everybody. <laughs> on like the most beat up equipment. I remember race trucks would shake if you just like shook the board, they would shake, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You wrote everything so loose. That's oh, funny. So good. So you everybody got to skate has... the ditches too. Yeah, the ditches and then we had in Bosky Farms, I don't know if you ever skated those the mini reps that uh, yeah. Rob Saxon had and I remember those. You remember those guys. Yep. And yep. so that was like all that's all I really ever skated down there. And there was a little school that we'd mess around and it had like like a two stair little handrail, stuff like that. Like but uh, other than that, you know, we would just go up and down Albuquerque because there was nothing really to skate down there. Just maybe some schoolyards or something mm-hmm. in yeah, then, yeah, and before I had my car, like I even actually got a ticket one time on the little road, just skating on, like on the, just right on the white line, you know? Yeah. But we got in trouble and had to go to court and stuff. It was sure. ridiculous. No, that's the thing I think yeah. people don't really realize that skateboarding actually was a crime in a lot of places in the 80s, you know, when we were coming up, you know, and the skateboarding is not a crime sticker was actually kind of a, quite a statement to us you yeah. know especially you know. in the community of you know uh, cattle and you know farmers and they're not they don't know what else <laughs> going on with a skateboarder uh-huh. with my my Tony Hawk flop hairdo I and all my one. neon yeah I rock the same steeds dude all my neon stuff yeah I was I've always been colorblind though that's my excuse I suppose you don't really have one <laughs> no no I just said the do you neon. remember what were you wearing was it like skate brand stuff yeah remember like around then that was like like skids Oh yeah, and Jimmy Z pants. Yep. You know, Vision Streetwear. The Velcro closure pants. Yep. Yeah. And then, uh, um, you know, I had I had a flip up hat and my you know my flop hairdo of course, and then like any pal skate should you know I was a bone yeah. gay guy. I was too. And uh, I had a hot pink Tony Hawk T-shirt that I wore so much <laughs> that my mother kind of questioned my sanity. She's like, <laughs> <laughs> I think that was. Was that, no, I guess we knew I was colorblind by then, too. Really? They, they didn't really. Yeah, like, I used to get hassled by my friends because I'd show up at the spot, and they'd be like, dude, what are you wearing? <laughs> like, really? You're going to skate like that all day? Like, yeah, dude, what's wrong? I'm comfortable. And they're like, it's not about that kind of dude. <laughs> That's funny. That's awesome. I didn't know that you were colorblind until recently when we reconnected. Yeah. Yeah, um, I think I learned that in, like, maybe that was sixth grade. Really? Yeah. So when you would do like those colored pieces and stuff, would you just ask people what color this is? And I, the thing with my color blindness is it's not black and white. Uh-huh. I mean that's a very very rare extreme form of color blindness. Right. I just don't see the subtleties and the tones and hues. Okay. That's kind of my general answer. If you know anything about color, so let's say on the color wheel, you start with red, yellow, blue. Right. I can see those just fine. You mix, you mix those colors. You get the secondary colors. The next, yeah. uh, the next round on the uh, color wheel. I can see those. Now, once the secondaries start to get mixed up, that's where I start to lose it. Oh, okay. So, so things of the same tone but a different color might look this like the same color to me. 
there can be a medium gray next to a medium green of the same tone, and my eyes will see that they're both gray or they're both green. And if you say to me, oh, that's green, my eyes will then see green. That wow. happens all the time with uh, my girlfriend. I'll say, you know, what's that color in the sky there? And, you know, she'll say peach. And then in my mind, I have an idea of what peach looks like, and whoop, it turns into this kind of pinkishy color. Uh -huh. You know what I mean? But yeah. it's it's been a neat thing for me because I know for sure that perception is interpretive. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because just as easily as I can see it red, within just you know a second or two later, when somebody tells me it's purple, I see much more blue in that red. You know, making it purple. Huh. Yeah. It's it's How cool it's really that? really strange. Like suggestive colors, we can we can get you changed up on all these colors on these. Totally. <laughs> well, so I mean, and then I, I didn't really. So we kicked it kind of like high school, college, I suppose, because I left for San Francisco in '93. And then yeah, because I that was when I was supposed to graduate, and I went to San Diego. I joined the Navy, and I was gone. Oh, so I, I had a few there. friends from New Mexico that did the same thing. Bounce yeah. for the Navy. So what were your reasons to bounce to the Navy? And well, why the Navy? Just well, being in the Navy, desert New Mexico and wanting to see some water? <laughs> well, yeah, that, like I always liked the beach in, the, in like those years, like 88, 89, 90, I would go out to Mission Viejo and spend the summers with, I had an aunt out there. And I'd go with my grandma and my sister and we'd go to Mission Viejo and I would like, I got a boogie board and you know, by then I was already skating pro decks and stuff, and we would just, I had these little buddies over there. We'd pack up on the bus and go to Laguna Beach. And so I just always, I liked that. And so there was a chance that I could go to San Diego. Oh, it's a crazy story, dude. I had the 64 Impala, and I'd already dropped out of high school, and we were getting stoned. You had a 64 Impala in high school? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, it was cool. Like, that's you know, like, my that's, dad, you isn't see. Isn't that the dream lowrider to have? Like, isn't that the 63 or 64, the, the, yeah. the classic one? Those are and you two. Just, you were just cruising one in high school. Yeah, I had <laughs> a 283, three on the tree. It was wow. like that green color. Oh, yeah. No rims or anything like that. No, you know, no. nothing was done. It was all stock. No. But yeah. I just had this straight-up black steely wheels on there. And uh, But anyway, we were getting stoned on the ditch bank, and we got stuck. And then this truck, we were trying to get it stuck, and this truck came up behind us and it was actually the navy recruiters that's hilarious and so you know he got us unstuck and the dude was like super friendly of course and then you know he started talking to me and stuff and you know i don't know like he got a hold of me somehow i, I maybe i had given him my number because you know i was just i was ready to go at that point sure and because i really wasn't doing anything you know i just fucking smoking weed and you know i had skateboard albuquerque and uh, or just you know that, yeah. that life you know whether or not you're living in albuquerque you know yeah uh no job just like odd jobs for my dad and stuff and sure. just kind of just lost you know so it was just it, it was like perfect timing you know yeah and uh like that and then you know, went to boot camp and then got stationed in San Diego. So I was just like, boom. Oh. Did you do boot camp in San Diego? No, it was in uh, Great Lakes. Where's that? That's in, uh, so just north of Chicago. There. Really? Yeah. In great, great, I know the, the Great Lakes, but I didn't yeah. realize they had a naval training facility up there. Yeah, I think now that that might be the only one. Interesting. Yeah. And then they sent you to San Diego where you were hoping to end up anyway. Yeah. That's cool. So, and it was, man, that worked out perfect too because it was like, I did my boot camp at the end of the summer, then got out of my little training school, 
Right when it started snowing? Yeah. And went to the beach. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So it worked out for you. Yeah. It was so tell me about your time in the Navy. Did you go out on a boat? Yeah, so I got stationed to a ship that when I got first got sent out to San Diego, there was I had to do two months and it was just like a temporary hold unit because my boat had, was still out on what they call Westpac, you know, where they just go, it went all the way over into, uh, gosh, what's it called? Anyway, over there by, you know, Saudi Arabia, down oh, the okay. coast of Africa, Australia, over, there. over to Thailand and, you know, Hawaii and then that. So they were on their way back. But, so I was in hold for for um, for two months. I had a buddy that I'd gone to high school with, my friend Tim Gonzalez. He was living like in El Cajon, so yeah. he was. It was cool. Like I had civilian friends, so like I learned how to surf, just cool yeah. stuff. And yeah. then uh, when the ship came in, and I had to go to the boat, but then it was just a few operations, and uh, you know I got stationed. Uh, I got uh, what's it called? Anyway, I got put in a unit that just worked on small equipment, like small pumps and water systems and stuff like that. So it was really just, it was really cool, you know, it was stuff I was into. And uh, it sounds like it. I feel like you already had some mechanical knowledge before yeah. you went into the Navy. Yeah. Uh, yeah, okay. I'd already like, I had built a 55 Chevy with my dad. And then I had those, uh, uh, we actually had two Impalas. And one was a convertible that I wasn't supposed to drive, but I had keys to. Dad was out of town. I could drive. It. Of course, you and were. then my my cruiser, you know. Yeah. And then uh, and my dad had a Corvette, so so we were always kind of wrenching on stuff, which was kind of oh. cool. Yeah. Which had my interest in that, and then uh, so anyway, when I got stationed to the boat, I was doing that, and then um, it went in a dry dock pretty much about a month and a half after that. Oh. So it was like put back in apartments. Yeah. And uh, you know it was like I had to be there at seven. We got off at three thirty every day. There was no overnight duty. It was just like chilling. Yeah, it and was seriously was like this? a regular job. Ninety. I was in from ninety three to ninety five. Oh, I only okay. had to do two years because of I had a GED, and oh, they were okay. like it was like they were just testing people out, yeah. and uh, so I could have stayed in. Sure. And all that stuff, sure. But wow. I was I was ready. Amazing. So you did two years at San Diego in the Navy, and it was chill. Yeah, it you, was you chill. Had a good time. Exactly. Yeah, you know, we had apartments, and we'd, dude, we'd go hang out in PB. We'd all we always used to surf at this uh, little break on it. It's called Law Street. There's a park there, and you just walk down. I know the There's spot. Longboard over there. My parents took my family to San Diego, and we stayed on Pacific Beach or Ocean Beach. I forget which one. Um, from '84 until like '88, we'd go out for a week or two every summer. And San Diego just blew my mind. It was my first experience with California. And I just knew I'm going to live in California. I ended up, you know, way north in San Francisco, mm -hmm. you know, but still it's California. Oh, yeah, you know? still just like good. It's different. If, you're, if you haven't done California yet, it's a big deal. But I think that once you, some people really stay and thrive there. You know, I feel like I have some friends in Los Angeles that are lifers, mm -hmm. you know, and I've only got one or two in San Francisco that I kind of feel that way about, you know, just because it's so expensive and hard to stay there. Yeah, it changed a lot while you were there. Like, you were Absolutely. there, and you saw, like, that whole change. Yeah, yeah. You know, and I only heard about it, but sure. I had a bunch of buddies that were out there, you know. Yeah. All those guys had come from out there, and, you know, like, Ray and all those guys kind of went and spent some time and then came back, so. Sure. By the time they had come back, I was already back, so. Yeah, yeah. So, where'd you end up after the Navy? 
right did back. Did you in, stay in San Diego for a while? Or? No, I, yeah. I seriously like I gave a guy my surfboard. Um, I, I had bought a, a pickup truck and I loaded whatever I had all fit in one little Toyota pickup, and I went back right back to uh, right back to Las Lunas. Moved back in with my parents, and then signed up to trade school. I went to welding school. Ah, this is good. I think for young people to hear these kind of to get you where you are now. I mean, yeah. I can see there's some pretty clear steps though. Okay, so you yeah. did the Navy, where you would have learned a lot of mechanical things above and beyond what you already knew. And then you got out, you go into a trade school. Mm-hmm. So you're definitely on a, a kind of a career path there, I'd say. Yeah, you know? the, like, the office stuff, you know, I don't know, that, that type of stuff just never... It doesn't appeal to me I, either. I couldn't do it. And then, and I remember I had to, when I dropped out of school, I had to, my parents had to sign the paper. And my dad is like, he's like, you better learn a trade. If you're not going to go to school anymore... You better learn to trade, cause uh, that's wise words from your father. Oh yeah, that dude's great, man. You yeah. met, you met. Well, that's the thing. I feel like your dad, and my dad, are a lot alike in their generational outlooks on things and what they think is important. And sure enough, I think nowadays they're pushing young people to learn to trade because for so long they've been pushing people towards college and these high-end jobs, and this is just a huge uh, hole in the market now for. Uh, you know, trade employment. Oh yeah, know. like manufacturing and stuff like that. The, you know, there, there's a workforce, but it seems like I think like with our generation, there was still people that you know were geared towards trades and stuff. But then, kind of right after that, is what I think you're talking about. I got like, kicked right out of the schools. Yeah, and there's just like there's a there's a gap of people like Huge from their gap. 30s yeah. where they're they're not in the workforce right now. So sure. that could be wrong. Sure. It's not as big as maybe it used to be. Well, and I think that's something generationally, too. Like, my dad and your dad probably went to shop class in public school and and learned all the basics so they could probably get out and get a job right away. And that's how it used to be. Mm -hmm. You you went to a trade school to get that next level up, you know, but you're still a tradesman, you know? Yeah. Huh. Yeah, and then, like, the shop classes, like, actually had, like, you know, mills and lathes and welders and and stuff like that. And I don't know what it's like nowadays, but I don't know. Yeah, it was probably smart of you to stay with your folks while you went to school, keep your, just, you know what I mean? I did the same thing. I did the first two years of college and I stayed at my parents' place. You know, I had very little, you know, overseeing or whatever. Oh, yeah. But like, uh, you know, I took advantage of that for sure because I was was going to school full time. You know, I, I, I feel for people that have to, work their ass off to pay their rent while they're going to school full-time and there's a lot of people that have to do that oh yeah that that like I don't know just super lucky that I had that opportunity and like the same thing like my parents didn't care what I was doing or whatever you know as long as I didn't care so much as long as I was being good and taking care of myself yeah paying my bills not being a like a a drain on society (laughs) not end up in jail right you know what I mean that kind of stuff Uh there was nights but <laughs> well, sure, absolutely, absolutely, yeah, cool. So, then yeah. what happened after trade school and you were down in Las Lunas? Like, what age were you when you graduated from the trade school? So, that you know, probably right around let's see, so it was 20, probably like 22, okay, right still there. early 20s, yeah, early 20s. Because, I mean, it's like a two year program, still never finished it. Like, I need like a physics class and some no, other math and I'm stuff, the same but, way. but it's like. Oh, uh, yeah, sorry. No, that's okay. That's uh, yeah. life. Um, <laughs> Phone's ringing. God, I, <laughs> I meant okay. to turn it off. <laughs> Don't but, worry about uh, it. Um, yeah, so that, like, 
what's that? I, you know, I was close to being done, and um, what ended up happening is you could do a correspondence with Megacore was a, a manufacturing place down there that they did mobile water tanks that like hooked a big like caterpillar tractors, and then those big dump beds on those huge um, like the the big dump trucks that they use in mines and stuff like that. Yeah. So they were making that stuff there. So I would work nights there, take a couple classes during the day. And then work till two in the morning over there and get uh, school credit, and I just ended up working full time over there. Uh, the smooth transition. Yeah, and which then, I suppose is what the administration at school really is hoping for. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know, you're supposed to finish and get a you know piece of paper and stuff like that, but no. I just went to work, and uh, so that was a cool that was a cool job there for a while, and then you know transition to days, and then uh, after that. You know, I don't know. I worked in probably four or five different fabrication shops in the area. And what were you doing? Just everything. Just I usually. I mean, were you cutting sheet metal and shaping stuff and welding stuff? And Yeah, over there, that's like yeah. huge like uh, sheet metal stuff. When I ended up leaving Megacore, like I was running the big press brakes outside, um, you know, this huge plates, you know, 20-foot-long plates, putting dimples in the side for side panels of those tanks. 20 feet long. Yeah, huge. You like had five a machine that could fit a 20-foot piece? Yeah. They were, wow. They were, that, I don't know if you ever drive by there, it's like if you go down Osuna, like you're going into the North Valley, and it's on the left-hand side, and you'll see those press brakes out there. I know the spot. I just, you know, would have never thought of what those machines were that were outside there. That's huh. what they are. So that's what's going on They're there. metal forming. Wow. Okay. Uh, big press brakes and sure. rollers and stuff like that. And then, uh, that's interesting. Yeah, it was well, wild. just because I feel like you're doing a lot of work on motorcycles now, and that's so small. Oh, dude, I it's mean, you know, it's like, yeah, just the opposite. You know, it's almost like the difference between writing graffiti for myself and being able to paint as big as I can reach, you know, versus making tattoos with a single needle. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? There's a vast difference in there, even though you're kind of applying the same skills. You know, that's just that's interesting. Mm -hmm. So, how, how long were you um, back down in Las Lunas then? So, I did that, and then I would have, I had, like, apartments off and on up there in Albuquerque. Oh, okay. You know, like, I would, I'd go get an apartment and stuff, and then something would happen. It's I'd so go cheap. back with you my folks. You can do that. Yeah. You know, and yeah. then, because uh, they always had a room there for me and stuff, and then. Same uh, my parents' place. That's Robbie's staying tomorrow. <laughs> or tonight, actually. It's the best. <laughs> it's yeah. the best, yeah. That's cool. Yeah, they've always been super gracious. My dad always said, "It's like you can always come back whenever you want." Yeah. yeah. Even now, I could probably go up there and stay up the street. But, sure. Uh, yeah. So you know, I would just I, I just did that for years, you know, and then with different types of shops and that you know the Megacore that was like the the largest fabrication facility that I ever like kind of worked on, and then sure. spent a lot of years with a guy named Matt Eaton doing um, like uh, you know structural steel and, and wrought iron and like oh. that type of stuff. What and applications uh, were you making that just, kind of stuff for? Um, wrought iron, like a lot of that. A lot of that stuff was for like fences and window coverings, okay. stuff like that. But like more of the handmade high dollar stuff. That's what know, I would have assumed. Custom homes, knowing stuff. New Mexico, I think a lot of people don't know that it's pretty common for a New Mexico home to have wrought iron gates over the windows. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because it's it's a sketchy place. <laughs> <laughs> but Dude, but really the bad. but the ornateness of the. The metalwork can be quite spectacular. Yeah. And, 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 you know, even a folk art in my mind, you know, when I, I yeah, you know. It's big. Like, yeah, and he's like, you've seen, like, the, those 
like those old school uh, rod iron shops and just have like the beautiful stuff. Yes. Just, like, even sitting out front yes. of it is just like so cool. I remember going to see like the, the uh, iron works at the state fair, right? The blacksmiths would be banging away mm -hmm. and they'd heat them up and show you how they twist the square. Yeah. Um, and that's what I was doing. Yeah. Yeah, that, that so guy. you learned he, that too. Yeah, he had taught me how to do some of that. It's like, not really like with a like with a full forge and stuff like that. The way I do it, you know, I still use a rosebud and stuff. It's like a real blacksmith to be like, oh, oh <laughs> sure. <laughs> but there's levels to the shit. Exactly. <laughs> That's yeah. cool. That's cool. And, uh, but yeah, I did that for a few years, and then uh, the last shop that I worked at before I went out like on my own was a place called Profab, and they built um, it was stainless steel, like just modular desks and things out of sheet metal to go into the Intel clean rooms. And that's oh. why I like learned how to mess with stainless steel. So. Right. And Intel's in Albuquerque too, isn't yeah. it? Don't they have a big, yeah. I don't know if it's closed down yet or not. Yeah. But uh, I feel like that was one of the businesses that came in and, and employed a lot of people on oh, the yeah. west side of town, especially. Oh yeah. Everybody in Rio Rancho kind of worked over there. It seemed like. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, so how did you end up back in Raton here? So. My dad, my dad went to high school here and then left. And then when was, was that? that? That was in 65. Okay, in the and, 60s your dad lived here. Yep. Okay. And then, uh, you know, I had, there's, I have aunts and uncles and stuff uh, around here. You know, my grandfather had a coal mine over out here on the east your side. Your grandfather had a coal mine. Yeah, he had his own coal mine. <laughs> Everybody can say that. Okay. That's some New Mexico shit. I know. Yeah. So, okay. So he had a mine up there. He had a mine. All and right. then uh, they, when they sold that, then they moved to Pueblo and they had a, like a Chevron station. Oh, okay. And uh, so then, and that's where he met my mom and, and all that. And then he actually finished high school there. Okay. But, you know, long story short, when he retired in Albuquerque, he moved up here and was working at the Learning Center. And then I was in a warehouse downtown. I had just kind of started doing uh, custom paint and stuff. I was still uh, doing raw iron. Downtown where? Were you still in Albuquerque downtown? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Just wanted to be clear. I had moved up there with a, with a girlfriend. We had a, a little warehouse space on, on 4th Street right next to the courthouse. Like okay. Lomas and 4th. Oh, yeah. I know that area well. I live down there. Mm -hmm. And uh, so we were living inside of there. We turned the shed into a bathroom. And we sure. turned the, the office into our bedroom. Uh-huh. And so it and was you pretty were wild. customizing stuff there. What were you doing there? Just a little bit of shop, like, a little bit of metal work. I just like I said, I was just like starting to paint. Yep. Clients were bringing in. Mm -hmm. You could kind of. I imagine by that point you could handle pretty much anything. Yeah, I was doing like like pretty good. I didn't have all the tools, but I knew people who had all the tools. And then I was there, yeah. in like you know there in the North Valley. There's all kinds of shops, and you right. know, I was lucky to know guys with tools and stuff like that. So um, that worked out good and. You know, if I was ever running low on money, I could just always build a gate for somebody or a screen door or something. Sure. And bam, it would just, it That's was working, great. you know. That's great. But uh, my parents had come down there, and, and uh, then he, he said, you got to come look at these buildings in Raton, because he's like, there's just a ton of empty big shops and stuff, and he's like, you could probably get something three times the size for half the price. And this building that we're in right now was the first one he brought me to. And so it's like, after you see this, it's like, well, come on. No, I mean, the first <laughs> time I came here, I thought it was you know, kind of a, a custom, you know, car builder's heaven, really. I mean, and so much more. I it's mean, insane. it's it's kind of the, the whole corner 
of the street here. Yeah, it's like a quarter home. block, you know. Can you kind of describe the space some so people can have picture in their head how big this place is? Yeah, so it's bigger like a quarter of a, you know, a city block is our layout. The, the building is 28,000 square foot wow. with, uh, that's the, the main floor, the two basements, and the one outbuilding in the upstairs right. all together. Wow. And so and it's a, it's an old Ford Lincoln Mercury dealership that was built like in the late 40s, we're guessing. We, we, we haven't got like a full, uh, we don't know the full truth on it yet, but we see some in the, in the concrete where somebody had written 1947, so. And from that. my knowledge from architecture school, that's where I would place it too, just in the details, like the glass block I can see, the way they've rounded the, uh, the corners of the windows and things. Yeah, it's like a little Even Art Deco. corner, yeah. And uh, maybe at the end of art, that Art Deco kind of movement stuff. And the I courthouse across the street is really Art Deco. We're like in the showroom right now, what it would have been. And now right. it's full of you know, your trikes and bikes. And what is that, a 50-something Chevy? The 56 Chevy that my dad built. Yeah. What, which, which, because you said that you guys built a 50-something Chevy when you were a teenager, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, 55. Oh, okay. And then he had sold, he sold that, what's that like? When I joined the Navy, he had started this car, but then he... Uh, so he's had this one for a long time. Yeah, he, and he spent years, it's like, you know, maybe one day a week for like 10 years just kind of working on it. And it's yeah. still, he's still not done. He's like, yeah, just, I'll do some other stuff. I'll get back to it. I imagine and, my van is going to be that way. <laughs> Dude, that thing's looking cool. But you, I get it. It's, you know, uh, let it evolve. Yep. Look, have fun with it. That's cool. That's cool. Yeah. So he was able to talk you into coming up here, kind of? Yeah. So presenting that, a great opportunity for you? Did he put his house up? Him and my mom put their house up for the down payment. Yeah. And uh, it's like, you know, just come up here and work. He's like, he's like I'll support your art. And uh, he's like, I see what you're doing. And uh, him and my mom both, you know, yeah. they're just so super supportive of this. And then so it's really cool because I've really like been able to just do for a while there. All I was doing was painting tanks and helmets. Yeah. And just that's I just was like working on that and like learning how to do fades and like candies and all that stuff. Just a little bit better, a little bit better every time. Yeah, because that's because like when we reconnected recently, I. Had, I had seen kind of some of the stuff that you'd done on Instagram and whatnot, but to see it in person blew me away, man. And then to realize that you're doing so much of the fabrication work too and pulling in your friends to help out with mechanical bullshit and whatnot. That's cool. And you're actually winning awards for your motorcycles now, right? That's crazy. Yeah, I had one. Uh, well, it was just it, not, not like it's not that big of a deal, but a, a founder's pick, the people it's that are free. But that's the thing, like you're at that level where the people within the scene are recognizing that you're top notch. I think that's pretty fresh. It, uh, it blows my mind, you know, and then... Uh, I think that's how it should be though, because you're just putting your head down and working and trying to do cool shit. And when you get acknowledged, it's like, oh damn, all right, that's really nice, but I wasn't really... Fishing for that at all? <laughs> I'm here in the middle of nowhere in New Mexico, just doing my thing, man. I love it when when people are like, "Oh, holy shit, that's cool!" You know, like I oh. really, really dig that. And then uh, you know, so just to to get a little nod is icing on the cake. Well, know? and you know, and just like like I, the friends and stuff. I moved to Albuquerque with the family, I believe, in 1979. 
And my dad was a gearhead, mm -hmm. always has been, and he immediately was taking me to the car shows and stuff. Yeah. And I remember seeing the choppers, you know, with the crazy cotton clouds around them and the mirrored floor oh, and the man. crazy spotlights and chrome everything, you know, but it was like a real particular style and I think it was, you know, again, just at the end of the 70s, but I feel like the 70s creatively was a real high time for custom cars and motorcycles, I feel like, especially. Um, and yeah, to I me, agree. it seems like you're kind of playing with that same era, too. Yeah, that's the you stuff know? that I, like, I would see, you know, I'm, I'm sure me and you probably are at the same car shows, you know, it's right there at the, at the fairgrounds in, sure. in, uh, in sure. Albuquerque. Those and, goofy uh, weros. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah. That's it, for sure. But that was the stuff I was always drawn to. Was like I just like anything that had like a hand pinstripe and hand lettering. Like when guys would just like it used to blow my mind to see like those perfect hand hand lettering. You know, just brush letters underneath the clear, and everything was so smooth. And I just like as a kid, even like how the f I didn't know how they did it. You know. Yeah. No, I didn't and, know how uh, they did it really either. And it, like the paint just looks so like this, those layers and yeah. layers of paint. Oh, well, I can remember on the placards in front of the car sometimes they would say, this has got 120 quotes of candy, whatever. And you'd be like, as a kid, I'd be like, 120 times they went around this car? <laughs> and you'd look at the at the paint job, though, and you're like, wow, it is different. It, like, it's it's changing as I'm moving around it. It's, it's really, yeah. it's pretty amazing what you can do. It's, I don't know, it's just That's interesting that. to me that, you know, of all the eras of kind of motorcycle history, you know, me and you, it seems like we're vibing, like, I, I love all the little details, you know? Yeah, that stuff, and like lowriders, any, like, Well, that's stuff another on the thing we riders. grew up around that not too many people did, and people don't realize, I think, how much of a lowrider scene Albuquerque has, even to this day. Some you of the know? best cars sure. that come out of there, and like, some, like, some of the, like, Best hydraulic setups and stuff yeah. like early stuff. I still go to the super show over here. I'll ride my motorcycle down. That's usually I end up seeing you, and I'm riding <laughs> down to go go check out the cars. Absolutely, that's usually like in June. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. 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 No, that's that's really cool. So, like, yeah, uh, what are you what are you working on these days? So I've got uh, I'm building another trike for. Um, What's for, up with the boys? trikes? I mean, nobody builds trikes, and you're building like extreme custom trikes, and you keep building them. You yeah, know, what is your thing with uh, the trike? Well, after so this this one here with the knucklehead in it, that was the the first one I did because I built that the the show bike for Born Free, the People's Champ. That kind of got me like recognized a little bit, and so I did a follow up with that one, and then um, the next year got invited back, and I, I've been toyed around with either doing doing another trike or not and then like it was just kind of the same thing with like people like oh hey build another trike so it like kind of like so well. became like the trike guy you know what i mean which isn't but, a bad thing yeah that, that your just, trikes are amazing i hope well thank gosh yeah but again it's from a different era which is neat to me it looks like it, it could have come off of the show one of those custom shows i went to in 79 or 80. yeah those you know uh I mean? Yeah, both of these uh, highly influenced by, like, you know, I just searched on the internet. Like, this one is, like, a drawing.
from the Ed Roth magazine cover. He had a California chopper singing. That was an illustration. This this one here with all the upholstery, Jim Green, a guy out of Kansas City, built these amazing custom trikes and motorcycles. So that's kind of a, you know, highly influenced by that. He built a super cool trike. I think it even had dual wheels in the back, like dual axles or something. Oh, wow. But it was all upholstery over the top, like wow. like um, <laughs> like velvet tuck and roll or sure. velvet diamond tuck. And I was yeah. just like, I want to make one of those. So yeah. that's what came about <clears throat> with that one. I see. And so the one I'm doing this year is different. You know, it's not a Harley Davidson motor or Harley Davidson style motor. It's a Volkswagen, which there's plenty oh, of those. Right. Right, okay, I've seen this project kind of from the start. I remember yeah. when you got that. You well, that's the Corvair one. That one I'm not messing with, but I have another oh, one. Oh, you're right. I saw the Corvair. Yeah, that one I'm going to change a little bit, but that's like, I don't think you don't even have to mess with that much. It's that's just, right, that's right. It's like my best running one, too. Okay, <laughs> well, that's funny. Totally. Yeah. Okay, but so you got very similar setup. So it's a Volkswagen, is it a bug? Yeah, so, so they so just, people understand yeah. what the hell you're doing. Yeah, so you, you just took hack the back them. end off a bug. You could just hack, hack the frame in half. And yeah, because it has a tub down there. Once you take that body off, there's like a, a, a whole like a pan down there yeah. that holds on suspension. And then right at the right where that back torsion axle is, whoosh, you just cut it straight off huh. right there. Yeah. And um, and then you fit like a motorcycle front half say to the frame. Right. And the motor, and then yeah, the motor's the way in the rear. And uh, so it's well, really. Well, right on that one because it's a Volkswagen, so the motor's all the way in the rear. Mm -hmm. Does that make it sketchy as fuck to ride? Yeah. Since the weight's so far on the back? Yeah. A lot. I would imagine. Yeah, they, they'll go, they just go right up. So it's like a wheeling machine. Exactly. Yeah. Or yeah. you just gotta, you just gotta ease it, I suppose, if you're riding it around. Yeah, you know? when. Because uh, I had bought this, this thing and it, it was already made into a trike. The guy had done it in the 70s. It was titled as a 73. And uh, I kind of used the same, some of the same dimensions and angles because it looked really cool. And uh, but it just was shit work, you know. So I, I I took it all the way apart, and then so I reattached the frame into like right over that the torsion axle there. And uh, so what's cool is that with the Volkswagen, with the motor being way back and up, you can set it super low. Oh, okay. So like because you're not sitting above a motor or anything. Right. right. So it's, it's like. It, Man, you'll be, it's, it's going to hug the ground. I'll show it to you. I kind of got it stanced out. I'm excited out. to see. Um, and yeah. Uh, yeah, so yeah. it's going to be different for me because I'm not going off of any drawings or, <coughs> a, or a picture, really, to, to like kind of like make all my angles off of. Like, I'm going to, this one, I'm going to style myself. Yeah. But we are going to do a, a curve, a little curve springer front end where it's got like a little curve in it. Like, cool. Jim Green was, was doing those in the 60s and 70s. So I'm gonna give him a little nod with that, and I just think it'll, it'll look cool. Um, sure. This guy Ari, he runs uh, V Manufacturing, and he's in San Marcos. He built a, a chopper off of a David Mann picture that had a curved front end. So he's working on that for me. Cool. And uh, so yeah, I'm gonna kind of it'll it'll be it'll have that style. I can't wait to see it. You know, body. I don't know if I'm gonna do fiberglass or steel yet, but right. So. <laughs> Be kind of cool just kind of see where it ends up yeah 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 uh you mentioned ed roth earlier uh, he was a huge figure in my life too because i can remember oh i think i was looking at car magazines hot rod magazines or something uh maybe even still when i was in new york you know so seven or eight years old and i feel like i remember seeing the ads for the t-shirts 
I have magazines from that era now, and d those ads are definitely in there. Um, and then I can remember when I went to the car shows in Albuquerque um, at like, you know, nine or ten years old, I can remember the shirts. I think at that point they were iron-ons for uh -huh. the most part. But I do remember the guys that would airbrush uh, the designs, you know, straight onto the, the shirt that you'd choose or you could give them the shirt off your back. Yep. And a lot of it was uh, derivative of Ed Roth kind of work. And even when I was in ninth grade, I learned how to draw those Ed Roth uh, mo monster cars where the, you know, it's like the little guy is inside the car, but his hands way out, out of the roof, you know, shifting gears and it's got the gigantic smoke and rear tire and the little front tires and usually some sort of slogan about how Chevy's suck and how Ford's rule or the reverse depending exactly. on what they were trying to you know sell yep um, but <clears throat> over the years I've really gotten into Ed Roth and researched him and hunted for his videos and things and he's it's a really strange kind of uh, character for sure oh, yeah. um, but the different artists that he actually influential. Used. Oh man! That I mean, Robert Williams worked for him uh -huh. in the Raw studio. Yeah, and then uh, like R.K. Sloan was doing yeah, stuff. And I don't yeah. know. Did you ever meet Willie Fisher there? He I was in Albuquerque for a while. Yeah, he actually uh, like they would go set up, and like there would be like three of them all airbrushing yeah. in the same Roth booth, you know. Sure. And so he would tell me stories about that. And yeah. uh, so yeah. I always thought Just that was like kind of cool. Uh, you know, if you're interested in custom cars and motorcycles and you haven't really heard the name Ed Roth yet, that's definitely somebody you should really look into, you know, because it, it sounds like you're even, you, you're building things based on little drawings that you found that he did. Oh, yeah. You know, that's, that's got to be a, a pretty profound, uh, forward-thinking dude, you know. Oh, man, just a, when you just go through, like, a catalog or, you know, just go online and just go through what, the different cars that he built. Yeah. And just all the different styles. And then the trikes. Like, I actually have, like, a download of, he actually had a book on how to make Volkswagen trikes. Right. And it's just amazing. He wasn't being secretive about the, the no. techniques. Well, yeah, I'm sure. I think he had bodies and stuff to sell for him at that oh, time. Oh, sure. You know, sure. or at least mold for him. Yeah. I don't know for sure. I don't want to talk too much out of my ass, but. Yeah. No, no. Yeah. He's it's just somebody cool. I, I thought we should, uh, I don't know, put a little bit of punctuation on. As, for sure. As somebody that was important, you know. But yeah, like you said, <coughs> you know, as a little guy, you know, just messing around with cars with my dad, and then um, as a little guy, like the monsters and stuff was like a draw because it was in the magazines too, you know. So it was just like yeah, it was just something I saw. I was just so drawn to. Yep. Yeah, I remember making the models too. I think Ravel did a series of like Ed Roth models, and they were all out of proportion and wacky with the crazy paint jobs and stuff. You every, can still get them. You can find them. Every now and then I get on eBay and I'm like, I'm always tempted to buy some model kits and stuff. And it's like, I got no shit for to build. No, <laughs> no, you do. You do, for you sure. You guys were doing a model night up there. Where'd I've been doing there? it, but I, I have some free time. That's cool. Uh, you know, I'm a kind of guy that'll, uh, I'll work hard. And then if I kind of catch up financially and have a bit of a cushion, I'll ease off. I'm that's not cool. the guy that's just going to work into the ground. So yeah, lately I've had some time to just sit and wrestle with the styrene and you That's know so the, cool. the the glue and the <laughs> my big old hands and the little tweezers and trying to. Dude, that oh, used to man, blow my mind. Like, so fun though. Like that, like go to the state fair and like there's dudes using thread for um, for uh, 
like spark plug wires and all that stuff. Like I was tiny, at that level. Hydraulics. I was at that level when I was about 13. See, when that's I so cool. got back into making models now, I'm much more into just uh, uh, the paint jobs. And, uh, you know, I don't even build out much of the guts anymore. Uh -huh. You know, I mean, I was notorious for spending days on end painting every little detail on the inside of a plane uh, and then wow. sealing it shut. <laughs> Nobody would ever And then hanging it. it from the ceiling. And I had a whole like <coughs> air battle in my uh, bedroom oh, on the ceiling. Dude, that's and I had a friend I remember came in, one of my skater homies, and he was like, dude, you have model airplanes in your bedroom? And I was like, what's wrong with that? And he's like, nah, bro, you're way too old for that. Like, have you thought about bringing a girl over here? And I'm like, of course not. Like, you know, I've still got bikini pictures on the walls and stuff. Like, nah, dude. It was just funny to me because I remember, like, that day we went out in the backyard and filled them with firecrackers and I just blew oh, them to shit, you know? Shit. But it's kind of a good lesson in impermanence as a kid. You're just like, nah, it's time to let this go. These are, whatever. I had a good time making it. That was the whole thing, you know? That's funny. I have like kind of similar like what's ca what happened to the end of my GI Joes and transformed from same for me. Blue, blue some of yeah. them up, and then we had a yard the little sale. Ones? Oh yeah, yeah, this like little one. Yeah, that was the ones I. That was my. Remember the big ones from the seventies? <laughs> yeah, you the got the Joe was like there. twelve inch tall. <laughs> they had like blue <laughs> hair. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it was the same thing. Blew some of them up, sold some, and then uh, bought BMX bikes. After that. Uh, fresh. No, I did BMX too. I did BMX before I did skateboarding. Again, it's, it's New Mexico, it's a desert. There's just dirt everywhere. There was dirt tracks everywhere yeah. the kids made and stuff. Definitely. Spent a lot of time uh, picking myself up off the ground with those goat head thorns in my skin. Oh, <laughs> everywhere. Remember those? Everywhere. They're, They're just, still there. Yeah, that's uh, oh, the that was a... of my existence as a bicyclist. They're yeah. just long enough to puncture a tire. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. You just yeah. go through tubes, or you just always have to have a, a teal suit, like a, what is it, a, a seal kit. Yeah, the whole thing. And uh, armadillos, the Mr. Tuffy stuff that I don't even think I sell anymore. It's like a tire liner, you know, yeah. so you wouldn't. Uh, hey, man, we're doing an interview real fast, so, so uh, it's all good. Can I get with you in a little bit? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Later. Okay. That's uh, that's That's a, our local. Um, what is he? He's a game warden. Oh, the game warden. But he, he's our photographer, you know, it's too. It's actually rad that he, he popped in. Because I think uh, a, a lot of people don't realize that, you know, you're, you're doing a lot of custom stuff, but you also got the paint shop here. And a lot of what custom paint guys end up getting as jobs is jobs from the fire department, the police department, because they need custom painted vehicles on yeah. the regular. And I think that a lot of people don't realize that, you know, taking... Uh, jobs from the police and the fire department, you know, th that's part of the, the, th the thing. And oh, actually yeah. a great part of your business, I'm sure. Kind of a good bread and butter. Oh, yeah. That you know? Always and you do a great job. I feel like I saw a fire truck you did that was awesome. Yeah, I did two. Uh, I changed. They got some expeditions, but they were like Ford expeditions uh -huh. for the county fire department and uh, did a color change on them. And it was cool. And yeah, that those government jobs, the G jobs, are, they always pay the best. Yeah, do they? That's good. Yeah, you know, it's just, uh, you know, but they are, they're picky, and, they, you know, you got to do a good job. Plus, you know, the, it's not a big community, so everybody sees them driving around, you know, yes. so you don't want to have them looking shoddy.
No. And, uh, but they well, have a heavy duty gold thing that people yeah. might not realize. You know, there's an ethics involved because people are going to recognize this is a town small enough. Oh, JP must have painted the fire truck. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, or he must have done. Have you done like ambulances at all, or no. just the? Just the. I've only done the two for them, and then I've done some. Uh, have you done one for the warden that's, that popped by? No, we did. Uh, Do they even have special? I haven't done anything for. For uh, the game and fish or anything, but him, so he's taking pictures and stuff, and that's actually some of his pictures actually been in like show class mag and stuff. And oh. uh, but we did we did a, a fender on his car. He had, he had hit a deer, and then uh, he actually helped me do a brake line on that first show bike. So it's kind of cool. He just comes oh. and hangs out, and that's then cool. uh, we had done worked on. He's got a bug. We had done a little bit of work on his carburetor or something recently. Yeah. So he's cool. He just pops in. Do you have any idea what the population of Raton right now is? I think, like the community, I think we're around six thousand. Six thousand. Yeah. I just want to put this place in perspective. Yeah. Because people, so many people live in cities, and I, I'll bet you a good ninety percent of my listeners on the podcast are living in cities. Uh-huh. You know, so the thought of living in a place where there's only six thousand people would be pretty radical. It's, you know, but it's funny because I'm thinking of moving to a similar kind of size mm-hmm. community. You know, I might stay just in Colorado so I can smoke grass without tripping. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Although New Mexico so. is coming around. I, I think mean, it'll come the around next uh, year or two. It could just be wide open. I mean, I, I don't think they even prosecute. Yeah, I think it's going that direction. Pound or two on you, right? (laughs) And then I mean, really, you could do if you have a card, you can pretty much just do whatever you want. Well, that's true too. And there are even CBD only shops, from what I understand, in New Mexico, which is something I want my father to look into as he's getting older for inflammation and stuff. Yeah, my mom's been using it. Fantastic. uh, You know, she's there. They're both in their early seventies, and uh, maybe my dad's using it too. I don't know, but. You know, like, they don't want to get high, but they want to feel good, you know, so it's kind of... It's funny, because I was wanting to get some CBD from my father when I was still up in Colorado, and uh, the shop just had uh, THC and CBD in one little edible, and I don't really want to give my dad THC, you know? I mean, again, he's in his 70s. I'm just trying to get him some CBD, and I know I just have to go to a different store. It's not a big deal, Uh but there is a little bit of difference there. You know yeah, what I mean, I think for a lot of older people, that little bit of THC might be nice. I mean, you, know, you hear Especially a lot of people are like, "Oh no, no, bring it on! If it's okay now, like I don't mind getting a little weird." Like, <laughs> yeah, I, I think like and then like with our parents, if it's legal, they'll be just fine. You know, like they'll, they'll be like, yeah. and again, not everybody is is messing with it at all. I, yeah. I think it you know gets propagandized on some level that it's just this like it's always been demonized, rampant, crazy thing. But I feel like statistically they've proven in Colorado that the teenage the amount of teenagers that would have tried marijuana pre decriminalization decriminalization is exactly the same number of kids that are experimenting with it now that it's been decriminalized. Like, there's no statistical difference. Yeah, it's you know, just... It's, just uh, it's one of those things, which is almost kind of a slap in the face to the war on drugs, to me. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, that, it like, was always available. The kids that wanted it got it. Yeah. And used it, and maybe continued to or not. Mm-hmm. But the same with kind of any substance. Yeah, it's like, like that in Albuquerque. If you wanted something, you know, especially like where we all hung out around the university and stuff like that, all you had to do was ask a few people, and they would just Absolutely. show up. Absolutely. It was super easy to get pretty much anything. Yeah, yeah. No doubt. No doubt. 
Yeah. So what does the, the future hold for you? You plan on staying here in our town indefinitely and just building customs until you can't do it anymore? Yeah, I, uh, I want to stay here and then I would eventually like to get, a, get it to where I have a sh my shop here, keep this, and uh, stay here. <laughs> Somebody's out there. And uh, she doesn't bark that much. That's but, cool. But uh, have a, a nice warm place for the summertime and go down there and like All right. either in, uh, you know my girlfriend Amber's from Texas and uh, she's got family down there in Abilene so she would like to have a shop and uh, so if we could split our time between this place and a, you know a place like that yeah yeah Texas yeah not San Diego well and then San Diego might be in the ocean soon just I know it's, it's always a little bit scary you yeah. want to let her in no, no. It, my girl just showed up if you're listening, and it's all good. She's just chilling. Uh -huh. She's with the dogs. Cool. But it's probably a good time to wrap this up anyway. All right. Um, I'm so glad we got to kick it and do this, dude. Yeah, let's do it again. I'm sure we will at some point, for sure. Well, um, continued good fortune, friend. Uh, thank you. You Same to you. Thanks, buddy. Take and, care. And uh, that's so awesome. Thanks for coming by. Word.